Good morning, guys. You know, in the despondency of 40, um, I had this bright spot moment that, that's kind of redefined it for me. And I came to the realization that I am now married to someone in her 30s. All right? That makes me a total stud, doesn't it? All right? Sweetie, thank you for 17 years of putting up with an old man. I love you. All right. Guys, I am uber excited about this topic today because it's one that has been so confused and misunderstood and, and, and honestly one that I found that has become a stumbling block to people and God. And, and, I, and I cannot wait to dive into this. Now, to kick this off, the Bible says some of the most absolutely revolutionary, amazing, and liberating things about women. This goes counter to what a lot of people think that the Bible does. And, and it's, in fact, the Bible that has been responsible for pioneering women's rights and, and in a sense of worth and dignity and value and protection and freedom for, a women, for women around the globe and through history. Now, to make my case on this, what I want to do this morning is just simply bombard you. Okay, I am just going to bombard you with a taste of things that the Bible says about women. Here we go. Let's start in the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis when God made it the way that he said it ought to be, that he wanted it to be, when he looked and said, this is very good. Here we go. It says that God creates male and female both in his image. Not just male, but female is in his image too. God commands both male and female to rule. Women is of the same substance as man. Woman is to help man. And just to clarify this, when the Bible uses this term help that, or that gets translated help, it's never a term that's used in a subordinate kind of way. It has the idea more of partnership than servant behind it. Man is supposed to be in unity, to be one with woman. They're in it together. Now, both sin by eating the forbidden fruit. Both experience shame, guilt, and weakness. God addresses both of them directly. Woman doesn't have to go through man or anything like that. Both are held responsible, and that's just the beginning. Okay? You ready for more? Here's the Old Testament. The Bible will say that women are the favor from Yahweh. So if you want to see what favor from Yahweh looks like, turn around and find a woman. That's what the Bible says. Women, we see examples in the Old Testament of leading Israel and commanding men. Woman is supposed to participate in the worship life. Women announce and are called to announce the gospel of the Lord. In fact, they're called to do it in such a way that, that Isaiah will say, with a shout, lift up your voice, proclaim it. Okay? More, women in the Old Testament prophesy via God's Spirit. And we see this one instance where, where the priests find the Torah, the law of God, the Bible that's been lost, and they find this prophetess named Huldah, and they go and consult her over Jeremiah, over Zephaniah, both of who get Old Testament street cred because they find a book in the Bible. They go to Huldah instead and ask her, and she verifies it, and they take her prophecy about it as being something divinely 
revealed. All right? And then the words of Miriam and Deborah and Hannah and Mary all become inspired scriptures. You can see songs and prayers and, and prophecies of them that all make their way into this thing that we today call the Bible. Finally, we'll see throughout the Bible that God will use male imagery to describe himself. But you know what? The Bible uses female imagery for God too. And that's just the first half. Then we get to the New Testament and you see things like this. Jesus had women disciples. Jesus treats women as equals. Women are the first to report and witness the resurrection. Paul, who gets just his butt handed to him by women as being a misogynist, he actually calls a woman Phoebe a deacon, not a deaconess, but a deacon and a leader. Priscilla is another one. She leads missions with Paul. Whenever she's mentioned with her husband, her name comes first in priority over Aquila. Poor guy. All right? And we see Priscilla teaching men, not just any old men, but men who are to be leaders in the church. All right? There's another woman called Junia. Paul calls her an apostle. All right? And then there's these chicks here too. All right? And there's more. Women by Paul are called to prophesy and speak in tongues in the worship assembly and in the church. Paul calls for mutual submission between male and female. Guys, collective sigh at once. <sighs> All right? Paul says that women's spiritual gifts are not to be squelched, and women are called to teach, admonish, and sing. And if that's not enough, let's look at a couple of the biggies that the New Testament throws our way. Would you read this top one? It's words from Paul along with me. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. And while we're on a roll, hit Galatians with me. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." Anyone who says that the Bible denigrates women or subordinates them to a second class or lowers them somehow in God's plan, in God's economy, or God's kingdom simply does not know the Bible. Or worse, knows it and has an agenda. And this, guys, is just a taste of what the Bible has to say. Ladies, this is just a taste of what the Bible has to say to you. And then there's 1 Timothy. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like for you to reach in front of you, find a Bible under a chair, and I want to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 with me this morning. And, and, and I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to risk opening yourselves to what is going to strike you as very strange, ladies, possibly very harsh, very problematic, and very difficult words. I want to invite you to allow yourself to become upset by it, struck by it, pricked by it, if you will. Let it lodge a mental thorn. Let it raise questions. Let it do its work and don't just dismiss it out of hand. Please follow along with me. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And it begins like this. 
Paul, the same Paul who wrote this right here, writes this to a young pastor named Timothy in a city called Ephesus. He says, I urge you, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed as a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. So far, so good, right? Not a problem yet. Let's move on. Okay, men. This next one's to you. I want men everywhere. Would that include FOF? I'm curious. I want, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Yeah, I better see it today, all right? Without anger or disputing. So don't give me garbage on it either, all right? I want men to do it. Women, next one's to you. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Yeah. What do you do with that? I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. You know, you ever go to like Galena or these, these like kind of like crafty kind of antique places and they sell that like wall art you can buy where they, they, they paint like inspirational scripture passages and you're supposed to hang it on your like wall at home. To this day I have never seen one that's been like 1 Timothy 2.10 she must remain silent. You know? Just, they're just not out there in the craft world. It gets weirder. Look at this. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. What do you do with that? Now, if it isn't weird enough, check this one out, ladies. Do you want to be saved? Well, we got your answer right here. But women will be saved through Jesus Christ? No, childbearing. Isn't that one obvious? Women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. What do you do with that? Ladies, what do you do with that? And don't just go, I ignore it. Don't you think I do with it? <laughs> what do you do with that? And, and for me, the question is deeper. The question is deeper. What do you do with that? in comparison to the bombardment I just showed you that seems to say something very different. Junia is an apostle, apparently a mute one. Are you with me? How does this work? And of course, it starts to raise tons of questions, doesn't it, ladies? Okay, silent? How silent? Like, like, like when Mark and the band is up here, like... Go like that, and, you know, Rachel and Chris, you better not open your mouths. I mean, is that what it's saying? You know? Um, and how submissive? Because what if the guy's just wrong? What if he's just stupid? What if he's asking you to do something that's just immoral? 
What if he's abusive? What if he says, here, honey, I got the poison-laced Kool-Aid. Take a drink. What I'd like to do with you today is invite you into something. Ladies, I want to talk to you first. I want to invite you to risk trusting God. Because I think a lot of people read a passage like this, and the tendency is to scoff at it, dismiss it, and walk away. Just, this is stupid, this is archaic, this is antiquated. This does not pertain to me. See, it's proof of some kind of just mailed out, you know what I mean? You've been there? Others of you in this room, though, I think, who, who, who are sincerely, sincerely trying to follow God and what he's about, have found this to be problematic, have found this to be, God, this is a stumbling block between me and you. I want to invite you to try to trust Paul again, to risk daring to believe that he may not be the misogynist you think him to be. Because I find that when God gives us his word, he always invites us to trust him. And he invites us to trust him that he is fundamentally good, that he fundamentally has our best in mind, that there's fundamentally something amazing and revolutionary and enlightening going on if, if we are willing to hang in there with it, to go 10 rounds, to push back and let it push back on us, and maybe and only then will it start to enlighten us in some way to something that is going on that might initially miss our eyes. Guys, this is what I want to invite you into today, this journey, to dare to trust the Bible and that the Paul and the God who stands behind him who penned these words has something amazing and liberating and revolutionary to say. Are you with me? Does this make sense? All right. And so with that in mind, I'd like to introduce you to someone. Her name is Artemis. Here she is with a nose job gone bad. Now, Artemis was a Greek goddess. All the gods and gods, she was one of the goddesses. And what I'd like to do is tell you a little bit about this goddess, Artemis, here today. All right? Let me show you just a few things. First of all, Romans just kind of like robbed the Greeks. We all know this, right? You know, the Roman way is like, hey, there's the Greeks. I like that. Let's make that ours. So in the Roman pantheon, Artemis' name is Diana. She is Apollo's twin, and she is the daughter of Leto and Zeus. Okay, that was spiritually fulfilling, right? Let's all go home. Artemis is female. That's why we call her she. Now, Homer, you know the Homer like Odyssey, Iliad, Homer, the Homer we tried to forget post-high school, right? Artemis call, or Homer calls Artemis hunter, queen of the wild beasts. Now, more than that, the phrase wild beasts, it became a term for her followers. And it's probably based on the idea that when they would gather, their, their worship style was like this frenzied kind of like, well, they look like wild beasts, like, you know, going on. And this actually may be what Paul had in mind when he says, while I was in Ephesus, I had to contend with wild beasts. All right? We always think like Colosseum, right? Fighting lions. It might be this instead. A little bit more. Artemis was known for her ferocity. She was a goddess of war and the hunt. Anyone here see 300? Okay, total like guy movie all the way. 
Do you know who the Spartans would sacrifice to every time they would go into battle? Artemis. She was breathtakingly beautiful, but she was also a virgin. And here's what's important. She was absolutely fierce about it. Let me share with you two stories just to illustrate this today. There's this one story in the ancient myths where Artemis is traveling along, and she has her traveling companion, this, this, this woman, female named Callistus. She looks over, and she notices that Callistus has got like a little bit of the baby bump going on, right? And, and, and she starts putting two and two together that um, I think she's pregnant. Do you know what Artemis' reaction is? She turns Callistus into a bear so that she can then sick her wild hounds, her hunting dogs, on Callistus to tear her to pieces. And Callistus is only saved because the other gods intervene and snatch her away in time. All right? Now, here's a better one. And guys, this is a lesson to you. It's about this dude named Acteon, all right? Now, Artemis is fiercely beautiful, right? Acteon is traveling along, and he happens to notice Artemis bathing. Now, you can't think of this today. It's not like kind of like hiding in her like linen closet in the shower, right? I mean, you got to imagine her like kind of out at some like lake, uh, a stream, kind of secluded. And he's walking by and he kind of like, whoa, you know, like one of these is going on. Now, guys, is it not true that the only thing, the worst thing that can happen in a situation like that is when you're caught looking, right? Well, he is. Do you know what Artemis' response is? To turn him into a stag a deer, to sick her hunting dogs on him, and he actually does get torn to wild pieces. So let that be a lesson. She is breathtakingly beautiful, but a virgin, and she is fierce about it, and that's when it hit me. Do you know who Artemis is? Regina George. Artemis is Regina George, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I ripped a little video clip here for you. Take a look. In the name of all that is holy, would you look at Karen Smith's gym clothes? Of course, all the plastics are in the same gym class. Who are the plastics? They're teen royalty. If North Shore was Us Weekly, they would always be on the cover. That one there, that's Karen Smith. She is one of the dumbest girls you will ever meet. Damien sat next to her in English last year. She asked me how to spell orange. <laughs> that little one? That's Gretchen Wieners. She's totally rich because her dad invented toaster strudel. Christian Wieners knows everybody's business. She knows everything about everyone. That's why her hair is so big. It's full of secrets. Hey, hey, um, what's happening? And evil takes a human form in Regina George. I'll be fooled, because she may seem like your typical selfish backstabbing. But in reality, she is so much more than that. She's the queen bee, the star. Those other two are just her little workers. Regina George. How do I even begin to explain Regina George? Regina George is flawless. She has two Fendi purses and a silver Lexus. I hear her hair is insured for $10,000. I hear she does car commercials in Japan. Her favorite movie is Varsity Blues. One time she met John Stamos on a plane. And he told her she was pretty. One time she punched me in the face. It was awesome. She is Queen Bee. She is always fierce. She is always beautiful. She always wins the Spring Queen fling. And guys, note this well. She knows it and will destroy you with it. This is Artemis. Now, let me take you a step further into her cult. 
into the, the religious practice and the beliefs and the worship life that surrounded who this goddess is. Now, Artemis didn't marry. It's kind of obvious, right? And her followers were also not allowed to marry. Okay. Furthermore, there was a death penalty for any married woman that would enter certain areas of her temple. Her priests were eunuchs and virgin women. There is this one, it it may be like one of the funniest video teachings I've ever seen, and it wasn't meant to be funny, but there was this guy, and and he was teaching, and they were on site at Ephesus, and he was walking him through the Artemis cult, and they come across this one altar to Artemis outside, and and, and if you've ever seen these like Israel tour things, you know, there's the disciples kind of following him around, so to speak. There's there's a gathering of people, and and he's walking him through the text, and there's this guy leaning back on this altar to Artemis, and the teacher starts to share how at this particular altar, on one of these frenzied worship nights, 3,000 men were to reported to have castrated themselves on that altar, all right? You see the guy in the background subtly just kind of do one of these from the altar, you know? It just... (laughs) Are you getting a taste of what her cult is like? Now, male and female priests were called bees. And it was based on this mistaken idea that Aristotle had written about that bees were uh, genderless and that they reproduced without mating. Not true, but he thought it was. And uh, it, so, so it seemed that there was this movement towards like gender neutrality or gender elimination, if you will. Now, a couple more. Ironically, she was the goddess of fertility and childbearing. Does that make any sense? Let me take it a step farther. She's called Savior in the context of women in childbearing. Go with me on this one. Why would someone who seeks to slay the sexually active, be the savior in childbearing. Because if you're pregnant, she knows what you've been up to, right? And what if she strikes your child down? What if she punishes you, destroys you, torments you? I mean, look what she did to that poor guy Actian, right? What about Callistus? And so what women would do who found themselves pregnant in an era when infant mortality was like, what, one in three? They would pay homage to Artemis. Please, Artemis, spare my child. Save him, save her, save me. Are you getting the idea here of how this works? And let me share with you one more. The way worshipers would venerate her was through sacrifice, but the sacrifices weren't like goats and sheep and birds. It was objects of beauty, braided hair, gold, pearls, expensive clothes. Not only that, it was considered a sign of worship and and, and, and veneration to her to kind of dress to the nines, to look amazing, to just, ladies, to just look hot. You you know what I'm saying here? This is kind of what's surrounding. Now, Now, here's what I want you to do. Keep some of this in mind as we start stepping in to 1 Timothy. Because the center of this Artemis cult was in a city called Ephesus. Now, you see Rome, right? Israel, and here is modern-day Turkey. Ephesus is located right there on the western coast. And it was the premier city 
in the Roman Empire in the eastern half. It's kind of like if you have L.A. in the west, you have New York in the east. Almost think of the Roman Empire this way, with Rome in the west and Ephesus in the east. It was a cosmopolitan center. It was a commercial center. Hundreds of thousands of people, and there, at its core, the heartbeat to it all was these ruins, a temple to Artemis. Now, you can kind of see these ruins right back in here, but here's a projection by archaeologists of how it probably looked back in Jesus' day. A little bit bigger, if that helps you out. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And just like people from all over the states go to see the Statue of Liberty in New York, and just like the Statue of Liberty in New York stands for something for the national ethos, so the Temple of Artemis stood in the same way back in Paul's day. Now, guys, this is what's important to remember. No one in this world can escape the influence of the culture in which they live. Now, believers, this is equally true for you. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you can escape the influence of how people live and do life around you. The church right now is exploding in Africa, in India, and China. But there's something interesting that's going on in the church over there. The, the, the hybrid of Christianity, if you will, is often a Christianity kind of mixed with an animism. It's mixed with like a, a, a spiritualism that was common of, of the ancestor worship and the spirit worship of the day. This is something that's already been seen in, in South America and Central America. In Haiti, where voodoo and Christianity kind of live in this strange amalgamated form. Now, it's easy for us here to look at that and go, come on. But do you know how they look at us here? As a church that's completely enmeshed with materialism. A church that's completely enmeshed with possessions and money and the glory and the opulence and the honor it brings, with fierce independence and autonomy, and no sense whatsoever of a community or accountability. Because it's simply impossible to escape the influence of the culture around you. Might the same be said true in Ephesus? Why is this significant? Because look at where 1 Timothy 2 is written to. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And what's he writing to him? As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, you know, when I went to Greece, Timothy, you stay there where? In Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths. I've always wondered, what, what, what might those myths and false doctrines be? Might the context of 1 Timothy 2 be in some way related to Artemis worship? If it is, look at what this does to the reading of 1 Timothy 2 that I took you through just a moment ago. Paul writes, I, I want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with what? Braided or plaited hair, not with what? 
gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess worship to who? Artemis? No, God. You know, is it kind of like ladies? I mean, like jewelry check right now, right? Is, is, is Paul kind of saying like, you know, the ponytail, that's totally cool, but braids, man, they got to go. Is it possible that what Paul is striking against right here is the influence of the Artemis cult that made its way into this Ephesus church? Is it possible that the reason he mentions these specific things is because these specific things were the ways that people would give homage to Artemis? Let's keep going. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. I want you to imagine something. Imagine someone asks you to write an article on alcohol. Okay? Would you write the article in the same way for Alcoholics Anonymous as you would for Food and Wine magazine? Why do we expect Paul, then, to write in the same way to all people at all time? Or is it possible that Paul is writing to a group of people where Artemis worship has crept in and what he has to do is counterbalance? It's become a somewhat common practice in our household, for my wife and for me, to have to overcorrect the tendencies or the excesses, if you will, of our kids. All right? You've been there, parents? Give me one example. It's not uncommon in the Gadini household to see our kids gorge themselves on electronic screens like all day, every day for like five years, if we let them, right? And so what's, what's happened in our house is on occasion, we will have to undergo what we have delightfully called the electronics fast. All right? Our kids love it. It's just like the best thing ever, Right? Because sometimes when an excess or an abuse goes so far, you have to counter-correct it. In the same way that it's good to get the alcohol out of the house of an alcoholic, is Paul maybe doing the same thing here? You see what I mean? If so, doesn't this start to make a little bit more sense? And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner, even though everywhere else Paul talks about the old Adam. Is it possible that what Paul is doing is counterbalancing an idea where women were seeking to dominate men, where women were seeking to control men, where women were seeking to bring this Artemis idea into the church, and Paul might be correcting the way God always intended it to be? And think about this one. But women will be saved through childbearing. If it's true that Artemis worship was all about this and it was infusing its way in, Do you see kind of what Paul is saying here? What do you do if you're a pregnant lady? What do you do if you're married? What do you do if you find yourself blessed with a child to come? Does this become something like Paul saying, not to be afraid? If Jesus is your Savior, he's in control. You don't have to worry about Artemis. Jesus will save you and your child. You don't have to worry about Artemis striking her down. 
doesn't it take it and change it from being the most odd, works, righteous passage in the world and make it one of the sweetest, most comforting gospel statements Paul could ever say? See, the big mistake that all of us make is that we come to the Bible and we want to see what it has to say. But before we can understand what it has to say, we have to understand what it said. Because the only way to understand what the Bible writers are getting at is to first understand what it had to say back then to them in their context and only then does the Word of God start to come to life in a new way and some of the problems begin to evaporate away. Are you with me? Which means, guys, you got to stop beating up women with this passage. Because if you are, you're missing what it actually has to say. Paul writes in the continuity and in the stream that woman is made in God's image just like you. It means you got to stop minimizing their gifts, what they have to offer. You can't sideline them or shut them up because you don't like what they have to say. But women, it says something to you here today too. It says first you got to stop crucifying Paul because he was the biggest feminist to ever walk the earth if you'll ever dig into what he actually has to say. And you have to start sidelining the Bible just because you don't like what it has to say and trust that there might actually be a God who loves you and created you and knows you better than you know yourself. And if you're willing to trust him, may in fact just reveal something amazing to you. I think it reveals one more thing. And something men and women we both need to remember. At the end of the day, what's most important to, write, to Paul is not our rights. It's love. And sometimes love means putting aside our rights for the greater good because of the problems that our rights create. And men and women alike, this is something that God calls us to and invites us to. What did Galatians say? The law can be summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know how you do that? Put him before yourself. Men, that means you. Women, apparently from 1 Timothy, at times it means you too. And if we're willing to pursue that, we suddenly start to see what God really has to say. And the fears and the misconceptions, and the overextensions, I think start to fade away. Are you with me? Guys, I, I hope this was helpful. Because I've seen this passage shipwreck people's faith. I've seen men abuse it, and I've seen women driven away. I've seen people mistrust a faithful God because they simply didn't understand what was going on and what it actually had to say. 
You know, this only scratches the surface here this morning. And if you're hungry and you have questions and you want to take this deeper, I want to offer up two things to you now and invite you to two more things to take this way. At the Welcome Center and at the info table and online on our current and upcoming page, we have these sheets. They're called Going Deeper. We've been doing them every week through this New Testament journey that we've been in. A lot of what I've talked about today is in there, but even takes it some steps farther. I encourage you, pick one of them up today. Wrestle with it. Read it through. Challenge it. Chew on it. See what else God has to say. I want to invite you to something this Thursday as well. We're doing a special midweek Bible study, if you will, presentation, a Christianity 201 on Thursday, if you want to call it that, called Women in Ministry. Because that tends to be a very dividing topic in the church today. Would you agree? Be it women's ordination, women's roles, whatever it has to be in between. And there's a lot of people that are sincerely seeking God, that love him and know his word, that have come down on different sides of the fence. And what we're going to do this Thursday is just start to unpack it. Start to give you tools to navigate through it. Start to look at the issues and things like that. Guys, if I'm speaking to you right now, or ladies, if I'm speaking to you right now, just come on out this Thursday, 7 o'clock, and uh, let's keep the discussion going and see what else God has to say. You with me? So with that being said, guys, I want to invite you to rise. And... If you would join together with me before we commune, let's, let's come to God. Let's pray. God in heaven, you've made us male and female, different, but both in your image. You've called us both close to you. We stand before you as equal sinners. And both male and female, both of us, God, in dire need of your grace. Pour it out on us today. Forgive us, God, when we misuse your word. Forgive us, God, when we use it as a weapon instead of a powerful statement from you. Forgive us, God, when we misunderstand it. And forgive us more when we don't dig, when we give up the search, when we stop trusting you, we start to doubt you or hold you in contempt. God, through it all, may we bow our knee to you and not expect you to bow your knee to us. When it's confusing, when we don't understand, may we trust you. And we trust the character of who you are that stands behind every word that you have to say. Help us in that, God. God, this we pray. Amen.